coming up on this episode of the Almost False Podcast. He gave me a cell phone. He gave me car keys. And he said, be here in an hour. And inside the cell phone was an address already in the GPS. He, he had her beaten up. And I saw her in the house while I'm telling him. I go around into the living room. She's right there. She's missing hair. Her eyes black. It was a lot going on. It, it turned me into a different person. Like, almost like a monster. Like I was just, my, your heart got cold because you're around people that are like wolves. They can smell you if you're nice and they'll take advantage of that. Hello and welcome back to the Almost False Podcast, where I interview regular people with incredible stories. Today, our guest is Joe from New Jersey. He started off in the military, went to jail, got into dealing drugs, became homeless, and so many more things in between. It's a packed bunch of episodes, so let's not waste more of your time and get into the story with Joe. You talked about living in hotels and not really having a job. What exactly happened and like, how did you figure it out? So when I was living in Virginia Beach, that house... It was like probably four guys in there, my brother, myself, and two other friends. And, you know, just being young, bachelor's pad, having parties, you know, not being responsible, paying rent on time and utilities. I mean, there was times where there wasn't even enough order to flush the toilet. I had to go next door and turn on the faucet while at nighttime just to get a bucket to put it into the to in the tank just to flush the toilet. So it, it started, it, it was just getting crazy, man, just not keeping up and in, in with your responsibilities. You gotta pay rent every month. You know, this someone owns this house, you gotta pay the rent. So long story short, rent got backed up maybe three, three months, and you get evicted. They went to the court, filed for us to get evicted, and one morning we wake up and the sheriffs are knocking at the door, like, y'all gotta get out. Y'all gotta get out. You know, so and we've got notices. We got notices, but you just blow it off. You continue living and stuff like that. And it was embarrassing, man. Everyone in the neighborhood seeing you outside on the curb and with all your stuff. So we ended up moving to a hotel and, um, man, probably lived in a hotel for about year, year and a half, year, year and a half. And that's when I started like working at restaurants, walking to work, catching the bus to work, stuff like that. That's when the depression really kicked in, you know, but that's, that's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It wasn't a five-star hotel either. These are like motels, like, you know, so that comes with like high crime, you know, all kind of, all kind of legal activity going on over there. So yeah, I did that for about a year and a half. My brother and I, um, he was doing tattoos. Um, he's a tattoo artist and he was working out of the hotel room and I was, um, working at a restaurant okay and so you lived in a hotel for about a year and a half but you also mentioned that you were homeless uh when did that happen was it right after uh, i, I want to try to understand it a little bit better yeah sure i um i lived in a hotel i mean after the hotel i bounced around so it was about two years later i was homeless um and i moved back to philadelphia with some family members um just couldn't get right, man. Just thinking everywhere I go is going to be better. But the common denominator was me. It wasn't the place, you know. And my family, my I moved in with my grandma, and I'll never forget this day. It's tough love, but I'm glad she did it. So I had a key to my grandma's house. So I roll up there, like, 
you know, hey, grandma, you thinking everything is going to be good? And they changed the lock on me. The key would not go in the door. And I'm trying every door and this key that I was given would not work. And I call and I text and no one answered. No one answered. And this is the middle of the winter in Philadelphia. You know, it's not as cold as Canada, but it, it, it's snowing at the time. And uh, the only person I could think of was this girl. There's two sisters. I called them. I'm just walking up the street with all my luggage. And it was really humbling. I had to humble myself because I don't like to ask for help, especially people that know me for, you know, being in the military, doing pretty good for myself. And then seeing me down, it was like, it crushed me to call them and say, hey, I have nowhere to go. You know, can you help me out? Yeah, she told me her aunt lives in Philadelphia in the city and give her a call. Here's her number. I called her. She picked me up that night. Um, and, you know, so I started living over there in, in their basement. That's the only room they have for me. Now, in the basement is pretty much where the dogs lived. There was two washing machines and an unfinished basement. So if you can picture like a cave, it's really cold. There's no carpet. There's no sheetrock on the wall. It's like stone. So it was like a cave. Um, and that's where the dogs slept. So I basically lived on the, and there was a couch. There was the couch. You come down the stairs and at the bottom, there's a couch right by the stairwell. And I slept there and then and I always had dog hair on me and I always smelled like dog. Um, so yeah, I lived there for a while. And, uh, the friend's aunt had a boyfriend and I would always see the boyfriend. I, mind you, I'm, I had a little bit of cash, but I'm broke, man. I'm not, I'm trying to apply for jobs. I'm trying to find work, you know, in the restaurant industry, because that's where I kind of had experience living in Virginia. So I'm looking for jobs, I'm searching, I'm going, I'm getting on the bus every day. I'm trying, I'm trying to find work. No one's calling me back. I'm calling them. No follow-up. So I see my friend's aunt, her her boyfriend. He's coming in every day with large amounts of cash, just like big amounts of cash. And there was a, a, a dining room table that was in the middle of the kitchen and the living room. It was just a dining room table. And he would come in every night <clears throat> and he would put the cash out and he would count it all and put it in the piles. And you know me, I, I really do mind my business and stuff like that. But one day I, I asked, I didn't ask him directly because he didn't really know me. I didn't really know him. I asked the aunt, like, what is your, what is your boyfriend doing and stuff like that? And I remember she looked at me and laughed and, uh, she kind of ignored me. She didn't answer me. Um, a couple of days went on. He's doing the same thing. Routine. About 9, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. You can, you can count on him coming home and counting. And it looks like to me like $10,000 every night. Wow. He's just counting. And it looks like different money. It looks like new money. It doesn't look like the recycled money from the previous night. Because you can tell different denominations, 50s, 100s. And it, it was different. And he had a bag of rubber bands. 
and he was putting them all in different piles and I looked like there were a thousand dollar stacks. So about 10 of them, that's what I counted, you know, and because I was curious and I was, I was broke, man. I was broke. And at this point, my money's running low and I had so much pride that I never wanted to ask them for any food. I door dash food every night. So this is why my money started running low because out of my pride, I, it, it killed me to not only did you put me up and I had to ask for that, but to ask him to feed me was like, come on, man, you know, like go get a job. But I was trying. So long story short, I was running out of money, ordering food every night. Um, and mind you, I'd only eat once a day because that would get expensive three meals on DoorDash every day. So I'd eat once a day. And one day he just started talking to me. And he, you know, he asked me, you know, like who I was. And I told him, you know, I'm friends of your, your wife, their friend, their, your niece, their nieces. I'm friends with them, her nieces. And, um, and, and I told him, you know, we went to school together. That's how we met and stuff like that. And, um, he, he said he kind of heard of me and stuff like that. And he said, aren't you the military kid? And I, he, he, and then he asked me, you know, what happened and just, Bad things happen and, you know, life happened, you know. So he went about his day. The aunt comes up and I thought she didn't hear me or she ignored me. And she calls me upstairs and I go upstairs and she's like, hey, uh, you really want to know what he does? I was like, yeah. She was like, he'll be in in an hour. He needs someone to work for him. Still never told me what he did. So that's suspicious. He's like, yeah, come on. But I, I'm seeing the money he's making. So it's suspicious. But I'm like, he, I need a job. He's looking for a, a worker. It just was lining up to me. So I didn't even think that far. So, yeah, but I, I'll never forget that she smirked and kind of laughed at me. So I, I I figured it was something, something there, you know, maybe illegal or something, you know, because she kind of laughed. And she, mind you, she stayed at home all day. So I know he was the breadwinner. So um, the employee, they got rid of the employee. He he came in an hour later um, and, and I, I asked him, I said, hey, I, I heard you're looking for a worker, this and that. He gave me a cell phone. He gave me car keys. And he said, be here in an hour. And inside the cell phone was in a, is an address already in the GPS. So I went uh, in an hour, you know, an hour later, I did exactly what he said. I got in the car and I met, I went to that location. I called him when I was there. He brought me inside. He came and met me and he told me, what were we doing? He's like, hey, this is what it is. And I'm like, what is that? He's like, he started laughing. He's like, you don't know what that is? That's crack cocaine. That's what I sell. I sell crack cocaine. And he said it just like that. Like the, like the harshest way I'm like okay he didn't say drugs so I sell crack and um he's like you don't gotta do it man it, it, it I heard you were looking for work and stuff like that and I heard you were curious about what I'm doing and it just so happens I just fired my guy from stealing money from me he's like how can I trust you and stuff like that just asking me all these questions um and I was like 
I mean, I'm trustworthy, man. You know where I live. <laughs> and he just kind of looked yeah. at me. He's like, you're right. You know? And um, that night he drove, ar- I drove around with him. He introduced me to everyone. He introduced me as his nephew. This is my nephew. And um, mind you, I don't really know the guy like that. Um, so he introduced me to everybody. We went out. I saw what he was doing. And then we went back to the address that we first met. And he told me, this is what you're going to do. He's, he, he, he held up a little a little Ziploc bag and he, he said, this is a bundle. Ten bags in each bag is a bundle. If you sell every bundle you sell, I'll give you fifty dollars. And I was like, man, that sounds easy enough to me. So I did that for months, man. Now I became a drug dealer. You know, I became a drug dealer, and I was doing that. And um, man, I got robbed. Uh, I got robbed in the court. It was a lot going on, man. It, it turned me into a different person, like, almost like a monster. Like I was just. Your heart got cold because you're around people that are like wolves. They can smell you if you're nice and they'll take advantage of that. And I, you know, I I think I'm a pretty nice guy and people can feel that they can smell it and they can sense it a mile away. And that's when I got robbed. So ever since then, I had to go out with like a mask on pretty much like, you know, looking mean and like, you know, stuff like that to give the persona like don't mess with me. And, um, it was crazy. I went back to that same house and I told the guy I was working for, let's call him uncle. I I got robbed and he's like, yeah, I already know. And I I was robbed by a lady and she was, she got beaten up. He, he had her beaten up and I saw her in the house while I'm telling him, I go around into the living room. She's right there. She's missing hair, her eyes black everything like that and then he's telling me you gotta you gotta be careful man he's like they know you're green and green means like you're new you're naive you're gullible they know you're new you know so they take advantage of you and stuff like that so you know I started dressing different you know I started like growing my hair out a little scruffier on my face to like just kind of blend into my environment and um meanwhile I was saving my money I was saving my money and um, I had a uh, one of those Pringle cans mm-hmm. and I would stuff the money in the Pringle can <laughs> in the basement and hide it in a in a like half full uh, dog food bag in the basement. But it was it. I remember them switching the dogs to an- an- another food. So this food, they no longer fed the dog. So I know they would never go into that dog food again. So I hid it in there and I hid it under the couch. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how the homeless thing started, man. I I ended up beating them and I saved up enough money. And I, I, uh, I went to the auto auction in Philly and I bought a car. I bought a car and I drove all the way to Atlanta. And you left that life. I left that life. And um, the guy I worked for told me that he's proud of me because a lot of people cannot walk away from fast money. I could literally pick up that phone and those car keys and start with zero dollars 
and in the night I would work from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. And I could, you know, on a good night, have on a Friday or a Saturday, I could have five, six hundred dollars after having zero dollars, you know. So, um, but in the midst of being so hungry and having blinders up that I didn't realize you kind of realize, but you don't know what risk you're taking. You, I'm risking my life, jail time. I'm this. These are drugs. Um, I'm selling poison to people, sisters, moms, brothers, uncles, cousins, nephews. I'm selling poison. And it didn't hit me till later because I became so numb. It was just normal. It started becoming normal. And I'll never forget um, my two my two best friends, which were sisters. Who told me about their aunt. They came to visit me and they almost didn't even recognize me. And I'll never forget. They said, Joe, you've turned into the The money's turned you into a monster. And. And it, it, it just like a light bulb came on, like, man, like just the way they look, were looking at me like disgusted. And I just, man, I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to stop doing what I'm doing because it's so fast. It, before you look up, you could be killed, robbed again, caught by the police. It's risky, you know, so. I told myself, I'm going to give myself an exit plan. When I get to this amount of money, I'm going to buy a car and I'm going to leave and I'm going to Atlanta. My plan was to go to Atlanta and start over fresh in Atlanta. And that's what I did. I bought a car for $1,300. I probably saved up about three grand, which wasn't a lot after everything that passed through my hands. Um, But that's what I was able to save was about three grand. It was less than it was less than five thousand dollars. I bought a car and, um, yeah, I, I drove to Atlanta, drove to Atlanta. Yup. And, um, just started and started a new life from there. You mentioned things that I really, I, I want to dive into the psychology of it because you talked about you know, being nice and being taken advantage of and the life transformed you. Right. My question is, did the life really transform you? Did you adapt dur- during that time? To Were you a different person with these people? But did you stay the same inside? Or did it actually change you from the inside? I feel like it started to change me. Because these friends of mine, they've known me since middle school. You know, so they really know me to my core. Like how I am. I'm a good person. And maybe it was how I was moving, how I was talking, how I was really short. Um, and rude, like I, they were just telling me things and I was like, man, I, I must be starting to change, you know, um, because I couldn't turn it off. You know, it it was either just be this way or that way. I it couldn't really turn them off, you know? Um, so I feel like it, it started with me adapting and then I actually started to change, you know what I mean? That makes sense. And so after you, after you left, you bought a car, you left, and that's when you were homeless. You had, you were, I assume you were living out of your car, right? For a little bit. Uh, yeah. and you were able to get out of that situation. Uh, how did that go following the entire situation from the military to going into dealing drugs and then leaving that kind of escaping that and trying to start again from, from nothing, basically. <laughs> 
it's tough, man. It's tough because like you said, you don't start from where you leave off. You start from the bottom, from nothing. So it was a mix of emotions like excitement, um, fear, because I don't know what I'm going into. I don't know anyone. I don't, I don't know the, the land. <laughs> like, I don't know anything. So it's scary, man. Um, but I did go with someone else. I did go with my buddy. He came down there with me. He had about $300. I had whatever I had left. We stayed in uh, a motel looking for jobs. And we couldn't really find anything. We ended up doing door-to-door sales. You know, just random things. And um, we ended up splitting up. I remember we ended up splitting up because I didn't leave the drug life there. So I brought some drugs with me. I brought pills. So when we get to the hotel, my buddy finds a job. I'm, I quit the door-to-door thing. He finds a job at a night. So he goes to work and everything like that. In the lobby, I heard someone say they had weed for sale. So I I said, hey, you know, I pulled him to the side. Like, you think I can buy some? And he's like, sure. You know, you know, I said, you know, just come up to my room and stuff like that. Um, so I went up to my room. He uh, sold me the weed. We started talking. We started smoking. And he left. And about 10 minutes later, it was a, a loud beat at the door. And I'm like, who is it? And I, I remember them saying it's Hatfield Police. That's the area I was in was Hatfield. Um, so they opened the door and, um, he asked me all kind of questions. Where are you from? Who are you here with? I'm like, it's just me right now, but you know, my buddy stays here with me. He's at work. And they're like, yeah, were you smoking in here? We had a disturbance that it was, there were smoking. Mind you, I got a smoking room. So I thought that was odd to me that they smelled smoke, but my room was a smoking room. So they ended up searching my room, cuffed me, put me in the hallway. They saw my ID and I was from out of state. When they saw that, they completely tore the room up. Because now they, I think they thought that I was like a running drugs from like out of state. So they ripped the room up and they found a, a little bottle of pills. And... I remember it was a big black cop and like a short Hispanic cop and the Hispanic cop couldn't figure out what kind of pills these were. So he's on Google trying to Google the what's written on the pill. And I, in my head, I'm like, wow, they can't figure out what those are, you know, because uh, which were Percocets, but they which are common back home in Philadelphia there. They were really common. So here I couldn't I couldn't believe he didn't know what they were just by looking at him the first time. So he flushed them down the toilet. And he found a little bit of weed that I just bought. And charged me for the weed instead of the pills that would hold a higher sentence. That's like a felony charge. But in Georgia, weed is just a misdemeanor. Basically like a slap on the wrist. So um, they take me to jail. And I get one phone call. And I call my buddy. And I said, hey, man, they got me in. They got me down here in Hatfield. I think it was Hatfield Police Station. They picked me up at the Motel 6. 
uh, they completely trashed the room. They didn't touch any of your stuff. I mean, they didn't like damage any of your stuff, but they ripped through all your stuff. Um, he said, what do you mean? You are? And I was like, yeah, they just arrested me this and that. I'm no, I'm not allowed to stay there. And the crazy thing about it is they kicked him out too. So when he gets off his shift, he's got to get all his stuff and leave. So that's kind of how we split. So, wow. Yeah. So that we, we end up splitting like that. And then, you know, we, we kind of figure out our own ways, but it was tough, man. It was tough because I'm, I'm also bringing what I learned into a new space. So you tried to leave the life, but, but it kind of stayed with you at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you'd become a different so, person. Like you said, exactly. Once I was exposed to it, it was just, so you got essentially a slap on the wrist. Like you said, you got a flucky cause it could have been a lot worse. And yeah. did that change, uh, what you were doing after it was that kind of a wake up call or did that come later? Um, it, it was a wake up call. Did it change immediately? No, it like it did change later. Um, so after we split up, that's when I was homeless. I literally would just roam the streets for weeks. Um, I would get on the train, the subway and I would pay for one ticket and I would ride the train all day. As long as you don't leave the terminal, you can go eastbound, westbound, northbound, southbound all day off that one, you know, ticket. So I would do that, man. I would just sleep on there. Um, and I figured out the city, the train route that way. Um, I did that for a long time. I did that for a long time. I didn't know where to go. I started sleeping in, um, buildings that were doing construction, like the scaffolding on it. I would go in there and there were the doors open. And I, I figured that the construction workers would come at 6 a.m. So I would charge my phone at a gas station, go over across to the uh, abandoned building. I would sleep there, set my alarm for like, you know, 530 so I could wake up and 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 be out of there before all the worker guys end up showing up. And I was just walking up and down the street, man, and standing outside a gas station. But I had a military, I had my military issue duffel bag. And I remember standing at the gas station. This guy said, thank you for your service. And he slipped something in my hand and it was 20 bucks. Man, that it looked like a thousand dollars when he gave me the 20 bucks. But I wasn't panhandling for money because pride in me. You know, I was too proud to, to beg for money. Um, And sometimes certain situations I ended up suffering more because I wouldn't ask for help. When literally that's all I mm. had to do, but I just something inside me wouldn't let me do it. Um, so he gave me twenty dollars. You know, I went and got food. I remember before I got out of the military, one of my buddies said he's moving to Atlanta, and you know he gave me his number, told me to reach out. This is probably two and a half years later. He his name was T Valentino. Everyone called him Tino, and he drove this tangerine colored Cadillac. So I saw a tangerine covered Cadillac drive by and I'm in Atlanta. So I started thinking about that. You know, when you you're you exhausted all options, you start getting creative and thinking of ways. And I was like, oh, I remember Tino told me he was going to be living in Atlanta. So I went to Instagram where he gave me his number and I called him and he picked up 
And I said, hey, man, I think I just saw you. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm in Atlanta. He's like, you're in Atlanta? I'm like, yeah, I just saw you drive by. He's like, no, it couldn't have been me. I don't have that car anymore. I sold it. I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Long story short, he comes to pick me up. We're talking. I'm giving the whole rundown, how I'm talking now about from the time I got out to, of the military and what's happened. And he offered me a place to stay. And in return, I would have to work for him doing what he does. And that would kind of be like my pay. So I asked him, like, what do you do? He's like, I clean carpets. I'm like, clean carpets? Yeah, there's no money in cleaning carpets. There's no way. And <laughs> I didn't care what he did. I didn't care if he scrubbed toilets. All I heard was, you can live with me. And I was like, yeah, bro, I, whatever. Like, whatever we have to do, I don't care. We'll, I'll do it. And um, And in my head, it wasn't illegal. And I had a place to stay because I was really running from that life because here I am walking the streets because of me bringing in drugs and doing this, you know. So I was like, as long as it's clean, honest, and I got a place to stay, I came for, and this is a guy I went to the military with, so I also know him. So I lived with him. His his parents had a guest house behind the main house. and He lived in the guest house with his, with his wife and his, and his son. And I lived there. I just slept there on the couch. And every day we would get up, clean carpets, clean carpets, clean carpets. And he he didn't pay me, but he he allowed me to keep the tips whenever someone tipped us. So I was kind of you know earning money like that. And um, you know I I I did appreciate him helping me, but I wanted more. Right. But I just went from making five six hundred a night, you know, to losing it all to now making maybe twenty, thirty dollars, you know, but I was still appreciative. Um and he said, Well if if you want more, you gotta get your own machine, but you have to have a car. Because he was working for um another guy that actually owned the company, but he was just a worker and I was working under him. So in order to be like next to him doing what he did, I had to get a machine and I but I needed a vehicle to hire to you know get to the jobs and all the machine so long story short i end up you know uh getting a car it was about tax return time so it was about february i end up getting a tax return from like some old jobs i had and um it was enough to put down on a car and i got a car and i ended up getting a machine and man i felt good you know i started doing my own thing cleaning carpets going to different customers and while i'm at a customer's house the machine caught fire. Wow. The machine caught fire, man. It was crazy. So um, that kind of took me out, out of the game. I, I called the boss. He told me to bring the machine back. Um, and he told me he would get me another machine like the next day. The next day turned into a week. Week turned into two. Two turned into a month. He never got me another machine, mind you. I still have to pay car insurance and a car payment now because now I have a liability to, you know, to have the machine and to, in essence, run a business under him. And he never called me back. He, I never got a machine. Kind of, I kind of had to scramble and find some other means of income. And uh, I end up doing pressure washing of buildings just to keep paying the car payment. Yep, something I'm I'm very afraid of because I'm afraid of heights. 
climbing up buildings and stuff like that. And but when you got to get some stuff done, man, you'll be surprised what you're willing to do. You know, that's crazy. And I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say. It's so many ups <laughs> and downs throughout the story. Um, what happened man. after that? So what happened after I, um, you know, I kind of got flaked on by the boss and, uh, I, I just told him, you know, I'm going to move on and I'm still living with the buddy at the time. He continued working, doing the carpet cleaning. Um, like I said, I moved on to do pressure washing for a local company and I was doing that for a while and he wanted me to move up in the company and, uh, I just didn't really enjoy it. I actually did enjoy carpet cleaning. I enjoyed it. Um, but the pressure washing, I didn't really enjoy. It was almost dreadful waking up to go to that job. Um, because it's actually one of my biggest fears was heights. So I left that job and my buddy that I split up with. Remember that we were living in the hotel. We split up. Yeah. It had been, it had been months, maybe six months since we seen each other. He, he calls me, says, hey, I got an apartment now. You know, if you look, I'm looking for a roommate. So we move in together. I'm like, oh, yeah, bro. Like, well, we moved in together. And he said, you know, we're looking for another uh, bar back. And that's what he did at the nightclub. He's like, I'm we're look, actually looking for another bar back if you want to work there. And, um, man, perfect. Like, I'm actually looking for a job, too. So I end up going to work with them. And and living with him. So it's like it just it linked right up and um we ended up working together and living together and it was fun, man. It was it was that was some of the good times because it was is this is what we moved here to do, you know, but we in the in the midst of it we we went our separate ways and a lot transpired, but we always talked about moving to Atlanta, being roommates, like doing our own thing and growing our own businesses. And this was the start of it. So moving in with him, it was all fun, man. It was all fun. And fast forward, he ends up having a death in the family. So he had to move back to Philadelphia. And I'm still staying at the place and. Mind you, I'm giving him all the rent money every month because it's not in my name. So I'm laying there before work one day. He he's going, he's out of town. And I'm laying on I'm laying, we had an air mattress. So I'm laying on the air mattress and I hear a knock at the door. And I look up, and by the time I look up, there's three people in the apartment. So they had already had keys to the apartment. They, they walk into the apartment and they say, um, are you such and such? And I said, no, that's, that's my buddy. He, he's out of town right now. He's not here. I was like, is there a problem? They're like, yes, you guys are getting evicted and you have a week. We've sent several notices. I'm like, what? I couldn't understand. Um, so mind you, all the money I'm giving him, he's not, he's putting it elsewhere. So that's probably how he was able to catch a flight and get out of here because he, he probably didn't have plans on staying. So they told me I had a week to be out of there. So it's crazy because in, in the midst of this, I, I met a girl. So I'm like, man, here I go again. 
you know, it's been a nice run, but I'm good. I'm about to get evicted. And come to find out my buddy, he never, he never comes back after the funeral and everything. He never comes back. He left you out to dry. Yeah. He left me out. He left me out there. Now, I mean, months later, he told me like, it was, it was a story. It was a story. I knew it wasn't true, but I just kind of, oh, okay, man. You know, but I knew the real because I was there on the floor and they're telling, they're, they're showing me this is how much is due and all this, but he made it seem like it was something else, but you know, it is what it is. So, cause I always persevere. I always make it through whatever, you know, and he, he felt bad. I think that's why he told me. Um, so that weekend I go to stay with my girl at her school and um i'm staying there uh and everything's good i'm like a college kid man i'm on campus and she's giving me her like meal card her voucher to eat at the facility and they're like you know at the college dining facility so i'm in there like a college kid i got a book bag on (laughs) it's crazy (laughs) man so i'm like living in her dorm like a college kid and it is wild so i stay there for like I'm there like a week now and uh, I'm trying to get a job there because now I can't go back to the nightclub because it's so far. She lives probably an hour and a half away from the city. So one day we're going to breakfast. Uh, There's a little breakfast spot down the street from her dorm. And I'm hitting the remote on my car in our parking lot, you know, just try to see where it is. I'm like, I know I parked right here, but I can't see it. So I'm hitting the remote to think, you know, see if the alarm will go off. My car is gone. My car is gone. Man. So I called the, I called the police because I thought it got stolen. So I called the police and they tell me, they're like, what kind of car is it? And I was like, it's this kind of car. And they, they end up, they say, hold on. And they're like, well, that car got repossessed. When I called the dealership and they're like, yeah, we repossessed your car. And they, I remember they called me on a Wednesday to, uh, I called them on a Wednesday to make a payment arrangement because it was due Friday, but I wanted to see if I can make like payment now and a payment later. And they said, okay, yeah, everything's fine. What I didn't know and didn't read in the agreement is that when I make a payment arrangement, that's like the bre- a breach in the contract. Like that like breaks the contract. So now no. they have full right to come take the vehicle because the vehicle has a, a low jack, like a tracker built into it. So they can locate the, <laughs> they can locate the car anywhere in the country. So they came and got the car and uh, it was, mo- it was the most embarrassing thing. Cause I'm sitting there next to my girlfriend <laughs> looking stupid, no car. And we're supposed to go to breakfast. So man, and now I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to get all my stuff because I just left the apartment with all everything I own and I put it in that car. So come to find out that I, the car was like 45 minutes away. Um, we get a ride up there. I get all my things and I just look at my girlfriend. I told her, I was like, do you mind if like I just bunker down in your place for a minute because nowhere else to go and I have no way to get around now and she didn't wait did she have a car no she didn't have a car yet so yeah it was tough man. it was tough so I'm walking by 
the dining facility. My girl went to class and everything like that. And I see these guys pressure washing the side of the building. And I was like, oh, I know how to do that. I don't particularly like it, but I need money right now. So I'm talking to the guy and I'm seeing if he could, you know, give me a job or something. But uh, I remember him just talking to me like, you know, saying everything's going to be good. And uh, he mentioned God. He said, you know, just I trust that God has you and God has something, you know, good for you. You'll find something. But right now, you know, I'm not hiding right now. And he gave me like 20 bucks in my hand. And I told him, no, no, no. He told me to keep it. And um, yeah, I never end up really getting a job out there. I started looking for jobs, never end up getting a job out there, man. But I remember I get called one day for the nightclub. They call me and they say, hey, it's busy weekend. Can you come in? That same weekend, my girlfriend had to go visit her aunt. So her aunt comes and picks me up. I go out there. I work all weekend. But before I left, I told my girlfriend, hey, come pick me up on Sunday, you know, so I can go back to school with you. She never picked me up. She never picked me up, man. So. Wow. It it was it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. So I, I ended up just being homeless and roaming around again. Once again. Yeah. Every time it seems like you're about to get out, it, it <laughs> something happens and then you're right back into the loop. Yeah, right back. Right back. I I almost got so used to it, it wasn't even shocking. It wasn't even shocking. I'm just like, okay, what am I gonna do now? How am I gonna you know, it, it it's a little shocking because you go from living a certain lifestyle and living in a home to completely just outside now. So, but you kind of get back into like survival mode. It's crazy how we, we are as humans. I just got right into survival mode. And you start getting creative and, and brainstorming and thinking like, how are you going to survive? How are you, how am I going to eat? How am I going to shower i gotta stay somewhere safe you know so i just got a uh there's a gym called la fitness yeah i got a membership they were doing a promotion for 20 dollars a month and that's how i showered i was in the jacuzzi i went into the sauna i went swimming i was playing basketball all for 20 dollars a month and but i'm homeless and that's how i showered and instead of just walking in the door and just taking a shower and leaving, I made it seem like I was working out with everyone else. So in the midst of that, I end up end up actually getting in shape. But I was just all I want to do is take a shower, man. And all I want to do is take a shower. So I end up doing that and just roaming around the streets, man, going back on the train again. And it was crazy. It was crazy. You seem to be doing all right now. Uh did something finally click and you were able to get out? Yeah. Um, it was, it wasn't until about fast forward 2019, my daughter was born and that's when it just clicked for me, man. I'm like, I got to just leave all this, that life behind me. And, and now I have someone looking up to me, like to feed her and clothe her and to make sure she's safe and stuff like that. So yeah, that's when I really got serious. That's when, that's when I really got serious. So I moved to California because that's where her mother's from. So I moved to California. Uh, and the plan was to only go 
to California so my daughter would be born and then go back to Atlanta to live in Atlanta. But it never went as planned. So after we moved to Atlanta, I mean, after we moved to Florida, um, California, my my daughter was born. Uh, we ended up staying there, staying with my uh, girlfriend at the time, her her best friend. And then while we're staying with her best friend, I applied to live in that same neighborhood where her friend. And now it's like a low income housing. So you can't you, you can't make but so much money which I thought worked because I didn't have a job at this time. I was just driving DoorDash, borrowing my um my girlfriend at the time, borrowing her her sister's car, driving DoorDash, delivering food. So I didn't make much money. So I thought it would be easy to get in and I ended up getting in. So we moved in and had our own spot and everything like that. Nice, nice uh, two bedroom. My daughter had her own bedroom, everything like that until... It all hit the fan Christmas morning, 2019. It all hit the fan, man. Um, my girlfriend and I get into a huge fight. Huge fight. But I, it was already dwindling out before Christmas. It was already, we were already bumping heads. And it, it's crazy to think back now. Like, uh, it took us to having a kid to realize, like, we weren't compatible. It's kind of sad. But I'm glad in a weird way, it did happen so that my daughter didn't grow up in a house that was dysfunctional, but with both parents. Because some people would justify, oh, man, well, at least you had two parents. That's not always a good thing. Because if the two parents hate each other, now you grow up in a in like a house that's like a war zone. Always fighting and fussing and, you know. So Christmas, yeah, that's when it all hit the fan, man. And... Yeah, I got out and it started throwing stuff. I'm yelling back at her. Uh, it was just, it was bad. And one of the neighbors called the police. So I left. And I got a little hotel. And I I stayed there on Christmas night, man. Christmas night, all the way into New Year's. And I cried like a baby, man. Because it was like my daughter's first Christmas. And I'm not with her. You know, so... Yeah, man, I, I never forget. I had cried so much. I was just weak. And um, finally, the holidays were over. And I had a job by this point now. I'm not I'm not doing DoorDash anymore. I had two jobs at the time. By the time we moved in to the our first place, I had two jobs. And one job I was working at, it was pretty far. And um, they just hired me. And I was working really hard. I was working overtime. And I was driving to work every day. And one day, um, my girlfriend at the time, her sister's car gets taken. It's repossessed. I know how that feels. Yeah. It gets taken while I'm at another job. So I'm leaving my first job, getting walking to the car to go to my second job, and the car is gone. And, um, yeah, I ended up, you know, getting a ride home that day. But the next day I called my boss and said, Hey man, I, I don't know how I'm going to get into work today. The car I was borrowing is gone. And he came and got me. He came and got me about 30 minutes away over the bridge. 
And he he did that for probably about a month. He picked me up every day from that same hotel I lived in that I moved into on Christmas morning. He came and got me every day, every single day. And yeah, it was getting bad. And then I started making, you know, some money and I was started to Uber there every day because I felt bad that he would come every day to to get me, pick me up and then. You know, he has his own family and everything going on. So I started Ubering every day. And one day he just, he just told me, Hey man, you, you got to stop Ubering. Like how much, how much are you paying for that every day? And I was like, man, I'm probably, probably 80 bucks a day. You know? And he's like, what? He's like, so you're only making a hundred, 130 a day, maybe here. So he's like, you're, you're not really making much money. So he's like, here's a, here's what I'll do. If if you find a car that's within this certain price range, I think it was like five grand. I'll get it for you. Put it in the company's name until you pay it off. We'll take it out of your paycheck every two weeks until you pay it off. And that's what he did, you know. But we end up finding a car um, for like thirty five hundred. He put it in the name. He bought it for me. And I, I, it came out of my paycheck every two weeks. It was allotted. It would come out. And what I started doing was I said, now I got a car. This is like shelter for me. So I started, I stopped living in the hotel because that was killing me on top of the hotel and Uber. I was, I was breaking even. I, I really wasn't making money. I was just paying for Uber and, and the hotel. And at that point, you got used to sleeping outside, sleeping in, in cars. And so I imagine it it wasn't that big of a deal for you to leave the hotel and sleep in a car, was it? Nope. And not even, it wasn't a big deal at all. I didn't think twice. I was actually happy because the hotel is stationary and it wasn't in a safe area. In the car, if there's somewhere not safe, I can move and park somewhere safe or somewhere I know. Right. So that's what I did. I lived in the car, man, and I parked outside of the job. Because the um, owner, he gave me keys to the to the shop, and I, I would have to open up every morning and take in deliveries and get my truck loaded and ready for for my route. Because I was a delivery driver, so I would go in there. He had a bathroom, you know. I would wash up in the sink, wash my face, everything like that. And uh, one day, I think he saw I moved the car to the street, and it was raining. I think, and he saw that. The whole spot it had been dry, so he's like he he figured that car my car had been there a while, and uh, the whole day went on. I did my route and everything like that, and he called me on my last stop and said, "Hey Joe, when you get back, I gotta talk to you." I was like, "All right," you know, I didn't think anything of it, and he he asked me if I was living in my car, and I I denied him. Like, oh, why would I live in my car? He's like, "If you are, man, like, just tell me, man. You're not you, you can't be living in your car. Like, I got." A place that over here that you can you can stay. You don't have to live in your car. I was like, no. His name was Winston. I said, no, Winston. You know, I I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not sleeping in my car. I'm good. I'm, I'm telling him I'm still at the hotel. I'm like, I'm fine. You know, I got a place to stay. I don't know why you would think that. And I'm just denying it all the way. And it, this then his wife gets involved, and she's she's like, you gotta come. Like we we know you're living in your car. Um. Because now they see me on the camera. Because mind you, I'm parking 
my car in front of the shop, but I would I would leave like I was going home and then I would return to the shop when I thought they mm. left. And I had it timed. Every day I'll go up to the McDonald's, I'll stay there for a couple hours, and then I would drive by just to see if their cars were there. And if they're not, I would go pull in and I would put up little like like a sunshade in my car and I'll go to sleep. And I would go to sleep. And, you know, I did that for a while and then finally I gave in. And I said, yeah, man, like I'm living in the car, you know, and they had a little trailer on their land that they allowed me to stay in. It's like an RV, brand new. They let me stay there and um, I would pay them uh, rent each month. And in that time, I was uh, started door dashing again. I started door dashing again because I wasn't really paying rent. You know, I'm living in the car now. So now this is at an expense. Um, even though they weren't asking much, you know, they weren't asking much, but I started door dashing and saving up, saving up. But in the meantime, I'm looking for a, an apartment. So I ended up finding an apartment and um, the landlord asked where I work and I gave him all my boss's information and my boss ended up helping me out because I didn't make enough to live in that apartment. So my boss told told them my, I made this amount and changed my checks and everything just so I could live here. And yeah, I ended up getting in there. I lived there for probably about nine months, maybe nine months. I lived there and, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I'm in debt with them, man. Like I, I still talk, you know, keeping communication with the husband cause they, they really, man, they saved my life, man, because I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do at that time. And I was in a dark spot. You know, I just recently had a breakup, just recently had a baby. I'm in a new place, you know, so, and they're the whole reason I, I made it in Cali, man. They're the whole reason. If it weren't for them, it would, it would have probably taken me a lot longer and it would have been a whole different story, whole different story. It really is eye opening to hear your story, what you went through. All the situations you were put in, uh, some some of them you put yourself in, but others right. that you didn't have any control, and you had to persevere and you had to find a way to make it all throughout your life, and yeah. it's inspiring in a way. I, you know, I I look up to people that are able to do that, and especially in the later half when you were doing it, you know, the clean way. Yeah, like you were able to actually leave the life of uh, dealing the drugs, which I imagine is probably a hard thing to do when you get money that easily. And like you yeah. talked about the, the man you were staying with, like the, the boss that you were under, he says that most people don't. So, you know, I, yeah. I hats off to you for, for doing that. And I guess for sure, to kind of end it off, you've been through so much. I want to ask you this last question. What's the biggest yeah. lesson that you've gotten through everything that's happened to you? Oh man, the biggest lesson is uh I learned to be myself, be nice, treat people with respect and how you want to be treated. It might sound cliche because in the first part, when I was dealing the drugs, I had to change who I was. Right. And my life started going downhill. But when I started becoming remaining who I was, people started coming into my life and helping me because I was being nice. I was helping them. I was doing the right thing. And throughout it all, even when I backslid away from God, 
I still kind of, I still prayed and I believe that God allowed it, allowed a lot of things to happen to me so that I could grow closer to him. If that makes sense. you like, he allowed me to get robbed and do this and do that because what did I end up doing? I ended up going back to him. I prayed I, and I always made it through. I was always like, find someone or find a way to make it through. But yeah, man, between God and just remaining who you are, being good to people, treating people good, relationships will take you real far. You know that, you know, just relationships, people you meet along the way. It's like, man, that's how I survived and beat it out here more than money because I didn't have much. But it was relationships I built over time that literally how I made it, honestly, just through people. Yeah, I like to hear that because there's a lot of people that are pessimistic and saying that you know, people are not nice anymore. And the truth is, there's a lot of people that are willing to help. And you pointed yeah. out that if you put out good things into the world, if you make a difference with people, if you help people, you know, those things are going to come back to you eventually. And if you do the opposite, yep. then, then you're going to get where you're serving others. So. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Almost Falls Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to leave a like and subscribe for more interviews like this. If you found this content valuable, please share it with a friend. It really helps us out a lot and hopefully it will help them too. If you want to be on the show, you can go to almostfalls.net and submit your story there. We would love to hear from you. With that being said, I hope you have a great rest of your day and stay blessed.